our time together just reading God's Word. So I'm going to ask you if you would just follow along with me as I read, and would you please stand in respect to the reading of God's Holy Word. Job chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. I'll be reading from the ESV. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its, determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what words bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered the, into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness? That you may take it to its territory. That you may discern the paths to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? And where is the east wind, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt? To bring rain on the land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father? Who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? 
Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring and are delivered of their young? The young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture and he searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes, or will he howl, howl the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because, of his, because his strength is great? Will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of love? She leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey, he, his eyes behold it from afar. His young ones suck up blood and where the slain are. There is he. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? 
Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowing of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Behold, be a moth which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountain For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plant he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus tree cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your, for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your, for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishings? fishing spears. Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who will come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as the stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises him up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw, and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, 
Sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp pots herds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth, there is not his, excuse me, on earth, there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. May God give us understanding in this reading of his holy word. And I ask you to remain standing as we take a moment to bow in prayer. After prayer, uh, we're going to have um, the preaching of God's word from this section that we read today. And then after the message, we'll have a song from our choir. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us a picture of your majesty your power, your sovereignty, and your reign of over all of your creation. When we look at the news, when we see what's happening today, we, uh, we, we can be tempted to think that you're not in control, that chaos is going on, and, and uh, you can do little about it, but that's simply not the truth. We're here to worship you, Lord, because we know you are in control. We know who you are. You have made everything and you maintain everything. You haven't stopped control after your uh, six days of creation and your day of rest. You still maintain all of your creation. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a gracious purpose in doing that. So we pray to you, asking you to give us wisdom so we can respond and react in these fearful days, in these treacherous days, these difficult days. We pray, Lord, for each other, that you would guide us, strengthen us. Most of all, Lord, for our faith to be strong and our testimony to be true, to point to you, not to us, but to you. For you are the only reason and you are the only hope of all of mankind, whether rich or poor, or no matter what the heritage of an individual, when they uh, come to death, they must face you and the only I hope that they have as they have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, and he is their salvation. So, Lord, we pray that that message come out through our lives. We pray for those among us who are sick. I think of my father and, and his illness, that you would just, his ailments, you would just continue to watch over him. Sister Minnie Kathy, we pray for her. Lowell uh, Spears, we pray for her, that you would bless these ladies who, who suffer um, uh, an, Ill, uh, an ailment, an illness, Lord, that you would just uh, be with them, encourage their hearts, and uh, help and strengthen their bodies, Lord, so that they can spend their days here as a testimony to you, that you would reach to their loved ones, Lord, and, and help them to see that they trust in you and that those loved ones would do well to trust in you as well. We thank you for those here. I think of my wife as she continues uh, to uh, ask your blessing for her cancer and her treatment and recovery there. That you would watch over and bless her and keep her, Lord. We thank you for each one, those who are here, some, Lord, who have uh, recovered from the COVID-19 virus, Lord. We thank you that their testimony, that they come to worship and to serve you. 
we thank you, Lord, for that faith, Lord, that there's nothing that can happen outside of us that can destroy the work that you have done to build faith in us. And so we thank you for that. Now we pray, Lord, that you would um, bless and work in our community. We have several here, Lord, that are uh, work in the medical field as nurses, uh, work in law enforcement as police officers or security. Uh, we pray for those at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. Uh, we have a number of people, Lord, who are right on the front line. Uh, just this weekend with all the protests and the rioting and the nonsense, some of us live right in the middle of that. Some of us work right in the middle of it. So we pray for those uh, that you would keep and you would uh, protect them from the foolishness of, of people who, who, who don't really think about what it is they're doing. I pray for this nation, Lord, as we go through so much. Um, we, we are thankful, Lord, that the injustice that, was, that happened in Minneapolis was caught and now justice is taking place. We're thankful for that, Lord, that, um, that this will be served in the right way. And we pray, Lord, that you will just carry it out to its proper conclusion. But we pray for grace for, for those who don't know you and, and aren't responding in right ways and don't trust uh, the end of your justice and, and that you're in control of all things. We trust that, Lord, even though uh, uh, man has a rule and corrupt justice, we trust you and that's where we can rest and have peace at night because our trust and our faith is in you. And so we look to you, Lord, and pray that you would help and assist and keep us uh, in, in the path that you have for us, to be a testimony and a light to others. Bless the preaching of your word today. Open our understanding so that we can see what you have uh, spoken to Job and how we can be blessed from it and we can have our focus on you and not our troubles and not ourselves. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. God has called you to faith in him in such a time as this. You, I hope you know what time you live in. It's a difficult time. We've gone through so much. It seems like so long ago that we had the senseless killings at the Miller Cures plant right down the street from my house. That seems such a distant past. So much has happened since even then that has impacted us. But I can say this is good to see so many faces here today that come to worship. And my prayer is that we be focused and be brought into focus by God's Word. We begin our our, we continue our study in Job today, and we're in that long section where God speaks. This is an important section. You notice, first of all, that God speaks, and Job has very little to say. Job has longed for the day when he would meet with God and thought that he would, he would reason with God, that he would have a conversation, but the conversation really is very one-sided. And so it is. But let's look at what 
God says during this conversation. We're going to go through these four chapters, but we will summarize parts of it and, and take a look at it. There are some key verses that we are going to focus on. Let's get the broad picture first of all. How does God answer Job? What does he say to Job? You, you know, we've come to this section that, that Job has been under attack by Satan. And this attack has been, has, has been structured and allowed by God. God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And God said, Job is a righteous man. He serves me, and he will continue to serve me regardless of the ups and downs in his life. And Satan basically said, really? Let me at him. I'll show you that he only serves you because you've blessed him and you've protected him. But when some bad things start to happen, he'll turn away from you. And so God said, Satan, you can do this, but you can only go this far. And so Satan had two phases of things that he did, and, and we can see Job was faithful through that. But the major part of the book is Job's conversation with his three friends. He has three rounds with each of those friends, and what we summarize from that whole section is the friends did not have the wisdom to address Job properly to help Job have a right perspective here. They thought that Job uh, something was wrong in his action and his thinking, but they could not pinpoint it. And there the error was. A fourth friend comes in, and we've seen him address Job, and he really hits uh, uh, Job where, uh, where Job was struggling. Job struggled, as we often do. He felt that God had unjustly punished him, that he had done no wrong, but God brought these things on his life unjustly. And Job was in error for that thinking, and we've talked about how that error came about and, and what the error was. Job had become self-righteous in his suffering. He was suffering because he was righteous, because he was good, but in that process, he had become self-righteous. We are cautioned about that. Job had, had be, began to be angry at God, and he was cautioned about that as well. And now we see God speaks. Here's what God says. Let's summarize what he does. God reminds Job of who he is. And he does that not to just squash Job and put him in his place, but he does that because that's what we need. When we're overwhelmed in sorrow, in trouble, in issues of life, in attacks by Satan, or whether it's just life itself, no matter what the source of it, when we're overwhelmed with that, it's easy for us to lose focus as to who God is. And when we lose focus, we normally begin to focus on ourselves and our troubles. And that's a bad formula. That's a bad mindset. God reminds Job who God is so that Job would refocus himself and relook. We talked last week about a realignment, like a, a car gets a realignment. You don't, you don't just need new tires. You don't need a vacation and a new situation and a new job or a new, new spouse or new whatever. You need refocus on who God is so that the life he's given you, you can live faithfully before him. 
And that's what God begins to do. So what he does is he shows his work through creation. God's work shows who he is. Jesus did the same thing in the Gospel of John. When he came on the earth, he showed the people. The Gospel of John is, is, is identified by the signs that Jesus did. And these signs would point to who he is so that men and women would begin to trust and put their faith in Jesus. God does the same thing. He does his work to reveal to us who he is so that we will begin to worship and focus on him. That's why he begins to talk to Job about his creation, his work. God is showing that he is the creator and the maintainer of his creation. In other words, he's acted in the past to bring this about, and he's continuing to act now as none else can, no one else can, God does this to show that he creates, he maintains all this. He's in perfect control of all things, and he is sovereign in what he does. So in chapters 38 and 39, he goes from the creation. In chapter 38, he, he talks about earth foundation. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Great question, right? What's Job supposed to say? I, 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 have, I wasn't born yet. Nowhere around. Job, you had nothing to do with that. God is greater than you, Job. He talks about the sea in verses 8 through 12, the sunrise in verse 12 through 15, the deep expanse, verse 16 through 18, light, verse 19 through 21, snow, light, and wind, verse 22 through 24, rain and ice, the constellations, verse 31 through 34, thunder and lightning, 35 through 38, and the feeding and provision for animals, 39 through 41. His point is, Job, you don't do that. You don't keep these things going. You didn't make them, you don't keep them going. I do that, and I alone. Verse chapter 39, he talks what I call the ways of the wild. Look at 39. He says, what about the mountain goats? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? He says, I've designed and purposed everything, done it for a purpose, and it works out just as I designed it. There are many, I'm amazed at how people can study nature and not come to know and to study God. They say things like Mother Nature and Earth, as if it's doing it by itself. God is the one who sustains his creation and he keeps it in a design that he has purpose for. And he gives so many examples here in chapter 39. The mountain goats, verses 1 through 4. Donkeys, verse 5 through 8. The wild ox, verse 9 through 12. The ostrich. <laughs> it's interesting about the ostrich. He says this, this big tall bird lays his eggs on the ground. He basically says, how silly is that? In other words, he's saying, who do you think keeps them protected? The mother doesn't even care for them. She leaves the young. Who watches over them and is designed for their protection? God does that. 
verse 19 through 25, he talks about the horse. Who can make a beast like that? Who can go full speed into a war? He says the sound of the trumpet, that means the announcement of war. They're in the middle of war. It doesn't scare the horse. He's not running the other way. Brave and fierce. God made him that way. The hawk, the eagle, and a vulture, verses 26 through 30 of chapter 39. Let's spend some time in some of the key verses now. Chapter 38, verse 2 and 3. Let's look at the key there. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? When the first thing that um, God says to Job, you darken counsel with words without knowledge. He's saying, you're coming into this debate, into this debate, and you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand how our work and who, in the fullness of who I am. Verse 3, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Here's a time that Job wanted to talk face to face with God, but notice God's word, dress for action like a man. He says, you want to talk with me? Step up. I'll have this conversation right now. God is gracious in saying that, but the awesomeness of God just throws us. It, it, look, we cannot stand before God. I've been reading the Old Testament where in, in, in Exodus where um, God was going to come before the nation and and he was going to reveal himself to them. And he says, come to the mountain. He told Moses, bring them to the mountain. But you better put a little barrier between me and them because they may be tempted to go past that barrier. And just my holiness, righteousness, and all that I am, they, they will be immediately destroyed. They can't come into my presence. And later on, when the people experienced this, they said, oh, ho, ho, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't have, want to have nothing to do. Look, to be in the presence of God is an awesome, and by awesome, I mean terrifying thing. You say, but oh, preacher, I, I thought we've been made to have relationship. Yes, because of Jesus. You know, it's, it's as if we stand behind Jesus and we have access to God because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us who believe in him. We can speak to God, and yes, we can call him daddy, but that's because we have a new relationship that's made possible by Jesus. We have a go-between Jesus. Without that go-between, we cannot dare come into the presence of God. He is just that awesome. But with Jesus, we can. So he says to Job in another place, the same thing, dress for action. Come and let's talk. Another key verse we want to look at is in chapter 40, verse 2. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? 
He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job, you really want your time with me? It's intimidating to come before almighty, all-powerful God. And we need to be reminded of that. We have the privilege of doing that because of the glorious relationship he has made possible through his son. That's the key part. In that same chapter, chapter 40, verse 7, again, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. He confronts Job, doesn't he? He says, Job, let me ask the questions now, and you give some answers. You basically ask me, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why have you been punished? Why have you gone through what you're going through? Let me give you my answer. And notice his answer. We'll be noticing that as we go. I, I said that Job speaks little in chapter 40, verse 3 through 5. Look at this. Then, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. So he speaks very little. He realizes his insignificance compared to God. Now that said, isn't it amazing that God turns his eyes towards us? In all of his creation, in all his work, in all of his doing, he still, in his grace, comes to us. Chapter 40, verse 9 through 14 is a key section in the key verse. Look at verse 8. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? That's what Job was in essence doing in his argument. He says, when you stand on your righteousness, then either you in error or God's in error. Which one is it? Then another key section we'll get to later. Let's take a look in chapter 40 now. As God begins to speak to Job, he lays out his majesty. Chapter 40, verse 9. Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? He's saying God is powerful, he's majestic. Even his voice pictures that. We hear the voice of God. And if we understand anything about God, it's like, wow, we're blown away. <laughs> as simply his voice as he speaks. If, if I heard a voice like that, I'm, I'm sure you, there, there's, there's a few individuals that when they speak that that voice just kind of bellows and just rings and, and it, you know, you give attention. Imagine God's voice. Imagine him speaking and getting our attention. When I was a little boy, um, you know, you'd be around and playing, but I'll always have an ear 
for dad's voice. It's like sometimes I guess my ear was numb a bit to mom's voice. You hear her so much. But dad would come in and he, he said, hey, whoa. <laughs> you pay attention and you look up. But one, you knew a heavy hand might be coming and snatch you from wherever you were. But you, you just kind of like paid attention, maybe because you didn't hear it that often. But when it came, it commanded respect. God is like that. Verse 10 of chapter 40 shows God in his majesty, his dignity, his glory, and his splendor. He basically challenges Job, all right, you want to have a conversation like with me? Show me what you got. Let me show you who I am. And you match that, okay? Why don't you adorn yourself with majesty and dignity? Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. God is saying, look, this is who I am. This is what I have. Majesty, dignity, glory, and splendor. That is shown and revealed in his creation. People go on vacation and they like to go to scenic spots. And it's something about the beauty of nature and God's creation that, that just gives us that sense of inner peace. But we as believers know where that comes from. We, we are worshiping God as we hear the rush of waters. We are worshiping God as we look out on the night sky uh, when, when we're in a secluded area and see just the, just the stars uh, shown, the constellations. We are worshiping. We say, wow, God, you made all this, and it's not bigger than you, so who are you? We're amazed at God's creation. So he begins to make some um, applications or, or use some illustrations of his creation. The first one is in verse 15. Behold, be a moth. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that properly, but that's, that's what I'm going to go with, all right? Who is this creature? Well, he's a large unknown creature. He's not named. We don't know exactly. You can probably imagine a creature somewhat like him, but if you put it all together, we're probably going to see a couple different creatures uh, that, that not one of them fully fits this, but maybe all together they will fit that. So maybe it's a creature that we, we haven't seen that was on earth at that time. But it's a mighty creature. And he says, look, verse 15, which I made as I made you. God created this creature, and God created us as well. He makes the point that, God makes the point that he controls this great beast. Verse 19, he is the first of the works of God. He makes the point that he provides for this beast. Verse 20, for the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. In other words, he said, Job, why don't you plant a garden for him to eat in? See how far that goes. If you ever kept animals, you know it's, 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 it's a major task feeding them all the time. <laughs> And God says, I provided a mountain for him. 
You can't just put that thing in your garage and expect him to live. I have a whole plain, a whole mountain for him. Job, why don't you grow something and feed him? You see the dynamic. You see what Job is called to look on, to say, I can't do that. I'm nothing like you. He talks about the strength of him, the power that he has, and his unique build. He did, he was not, he did not evolve himself into this type of creature. God made him with a specific design. In the next chapter, he talks about another creature, Leviathan. He's another unknown creature. He's a large, probably a sea creature. In fact, that's the point that he makes here. Powerful creature. Um, I, I get the sense of a, a, a mighty dragon-like uh, creature. You think of those as mystic, but apparently some existed that, that we can see here. Look at some of his traits. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 41 shows, makes this point. No man controls him. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Press down his tongue with a cord? Like you would a horse, right? Can you put a rope in his nose and pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make pleas to you? <laughs> Will he speak to you soft words? <laughs> Can you get him under control? Nobody controls him is the point that he makes. Verse 4, will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will he going to become your petty saying? You going to let your little kids play with him? I don't think so. Verse 8, lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. <laughs> he says, this is one of my mighty creations that I've made, you wouldn't dare go anywhere close to him. Because that's the way I made him. He's big, he's powerful, he's fierce, and you better stay away from him. Now here's his point. Key verse, verse 9. Behold, the hope of man, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. What's he saying? You know, that's why we go to the zoo, right? We look at these great creatures, and we know there's a wall separating us. But we get a chance to see what God has made in his creation. And I marvel, just like you do, at the power, at the size. And I'm glad there's a wall between us, right? <laughs> and, and that's the point he's making. He says, Job, let me just show you him. He says, He is, verse 9, he is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce, verse 10, no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Here's the whole point. Who then is he who can stand against me? Who then is he who can stand against me? He says there, if, if you can't, 
stand against God's creation, do you realize God is powerful over his creation? And he's the one that made it and he controls it. Then he says in verse 11, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God shows his power and his sovereignty. He is in control of all things because he's the owner of all things. And he has the right to do with his things as he pleases, including me and you. We're stuck on this thing called freedom. In other words, you know, ever since I was a kid, I waited until I got to be 18 so I could be free and I could do what I wanted to do because that's what, that's what society had taught me is that, look, when you're a kid, you got to do what mom and dad says, but when you grow up, you can do as you please. Well, as I grew up, I realized how untrue that was. Yeah, I had certain choices I could make, but there were certain things that I could not get away from. And that is that there are authorities over me, and the head of that authority is God himself, who is sovereign over all. We have a society that is shaking their fist at God and saying, you don't tell me what to do. And before we say amen to that, be careful, because as believers, we often in our suffering are shaking our fists at God and saying, why have you taking my job from me? Why have you not answered my prayer? Why haven't you been the genie in the bottle that I wanted God to be? And God reminds us he's sovereign. He's in control. But not only that, he is sovereign and in control for our good. He's a gracious, loving, sovereign God. And he shows that in all of his creation. Verses 12 through 24, he shows that this sea creature was gloriously designed and designed by God. Verse 12, I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who will come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth is terror? His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. He's saying, I, I designed this beast and he is awesome. God designed him with a purpose in mind, with his purpose in mind. God designed us with his purpose in mind. God even designed our troubles, our afflictions, our sicknesses, our setbacks, the issues, everything that we have, everything that we're going through with a purpose in mind. And part of that purpose is that we might see him, know him, and trust him and come to serve him. And realize we don't know all that he's doing, but we ought to trust him and walk in his ways. So let's summarize. When we look over all that he says here, 
we marvel at the majesty, the dignity, the glory, and the splendor of God. But if we simply look at his creation, we see that majesty, dignity, we see that glory, and we see that splendor. But we may lose sight of the love and the grace that God has in design there. We can see some of that in creation or examples of that, but we see that mostly in the purpose, in the place, in the face, in the person of Jesus Christ. Job is coming face to face with God, and it's a fearful interaction because Job needs a mediator. That mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through Christ and through Christ alone that we can see God's glorious and gracious purpose for us. God has a purpose and a love and His grace that's shown in His creation that He is going to redeem and recover His creation. He's made them. He sustains them. Sin has, has worked chaos in this creation. And God is going to restore that. And he's going to do that all through the Lord Jesus Christ. We often think of this as a spiritual thing. But it's not just a spiritual thing. It's an everything. It's physical we talk about a new heaven and new earth. We're going to have new bodies. God is going to resurrect us and give us new bodies. He's going to give us a new place we call heaven. And he's going to give us a new life and, and he's going to eliminate sin there so that all of his creation then is redeemed for his purpose and his glory. And yes, he even has hell for his purpose and his glory. And he has those who are trusting Christ to be redeemed and used by God for his purpose and his glory. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and 23, if we can take a look at there. But we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul there points out that all of God's creation is in a process of groaning. It was created, God said it was good, but, but when Satan came with sin, it impacted all of God's creation, including man. And since that time, we've been groaning under the sin, uh, 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 this sin boulder that we carry or, or that sits on us. We, we've, been, we've been groaning under the pains of sin. God says he's going to redeem us. We're looking for the redemption of our bodies. We're looking for God's 
redemption of his creation, and that's come through the Lord Jesus Christ and through him only. Job is reminded of the awesomeness of God, and he's challenged to look at that, that God has a purpose in all that he has done, and surely God has a purpose in Job's life too, even for his suffering. And he's going to bring about that purpose in his own time and in his own way. You need to be reminded of God's work and his purpose so that you don't lose sight of that. I think I mentioned last week that if you only watch the news, you can get discouraged, even disgruntled about what's happening all around. But you need to pick up <laughs> and see what God is saying and come to understand that he is under control. He has all things in control, and he is doing things for his glorious purpose, even in our personal lives. Think about it this way. Job is challenged to see how powerful God is by looking out at his creation. And he's given some illustrations of some powerful creatures that stand nothing in terms of their um, power with God. God says to Job, if you can't control these powerful ones, which I have under my control, then imagine how you would stand against me. You can't. He says, look at the awesomeness of my power, my purpose, and all that I've done. One man sneezed, and over 100,000 people in America died. It's COVID-19. It had to spread from one person and eventually spread to that many people. One man was killed in Minneapolis. And cities across America have experienced chaos and destruction and all kinds of nonsense. If a human being, an individual, can cause these types or bring this type of impact, fear and damage and chaos, how much more can God do <laughs> in his purpose and his power. They said, look out among yourselves and recognize I'm just watching things as they go by and marveling that you don't see me and my power available in all of this. And yes, I have a purpose in all of it too, Job. And that your purpose is that you would begin to focus on me and not on yourself. Remember, Job wasn't privy to the meeting that had gone on between God and Satan in heaven. And God is basically saying, Job, I got this. I got this. I know you're suffering. I know you're going through hardship. I got this. I'm in control of all things. Trust me, worship me, 
just give you a little few reminders of what I've done in the past, what I continue to do now, to know that I have a purpose in all of it. And you are part of my purpose. Continue to glorify me. Don't get caught up in yourself or in your troubles. Lift your eyes up to God. I could imagine Job, one day I was walking down the street and I saw a dime or I was a young kid. I think I even saw something more valuable than that. And I picked it up and I go, wow, I'm glad I saw that. I'm glad I was looking down. Guess what I started to do all day? Look down. There's got to be another one somewhere, right? All day long, I'm looking down. When we have trouble, when we're suffering, we have a tendency to look down, look at our own selves, our own trouble. God is saying, hey, 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 look up. Let me get your attention. Look up. Look at me. Recognize who I am and what I'm doing. Get your focus on me. I got this. One of the things that the troubles of our society, whether it's COVID-19 or the, the um, aftermath of, of this uh, injustice that happened in Minneapolis, is that it, it, it shows the hearts of many. Some are riddled with fear, some frustration and anger, and it just kind of reveals the heart. But for, for us, it should draw us to God and to trust in him, not fear of all our circumstances, but a worship of God and a trust and a walk with him. God, before COVID-19 came, I knew I could wake up in the morning and find I had something and die the next day. That's in your hands. You are, I am in your hands and in your control. Yes, you want me to wash my hands. Yes, you want me to do some things that are common sense to do. But I should have always been doing that. Trust God. Don't succumb to your fears. God doesn't always take our fears away. He says, I want you to focus on me. I want you to look at me. God is talking to Job, and Job is in the midst of his sorrows. I don't think from the time Job started talking with God that all of a sudden all his sores and, and, and things on his, on his physical nature just melted away. <laughs> I think he's, he's still looking at God, and he's marveling. He's beginning to do that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Choir, would you come now? Let's have a word of prayer. What is God prompting you to do in your focus towards him? Would you take some time to marvel at the majesty, the dignity, the splendor of God? Would you take a look at God? Would you begin to worship him? Would you focus on him? Would you see his glorious plan for his son Jesus? to be the one to redeem and to recall us, to recover creation back to what he has designed for it. I challenge you to do what God challenged Job, and that is to focus on God himself.